John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. accessed entry 795.ps1912, certificate number 41607, Miss Thistlebottom's Hopgoblins. Me fail English? That's impossible. What do we think about pedantry? Uh. What's the official omnibus take on? On the one hand, we enjoy precision and accuracy in all things. Right. But on the other hand, we hate, we hate to, to, be, to be corrected. corrected. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, were you, before internet pedantry became such a garbage barge, were you a pedant? I was not, and here's why. Uh, as kind of a know-it-all kid, I quickly became aware that uh, people don't like that, mm. you know? So my my... Operating principle in life has always been don't seem like a smarty pants because it's a dick move. And so I will often err on the side of not correcting somebody. I'll be like, I don't really care if he thinks that story's true and I happen to know it's been debunked. Or maybe I'll say, you know, I, I won't seem sure. I'll right. say, oh, I, you I know, thought that. is it possible that yeah. I will always. And I'll let myself get talked out of wrong answers at trivia nights. Like I, uh, I often err on the side of anti-pedantry. And I think it's because I find it a deeply unattractive personality trait and I shy away from it. I learned it as also a smarty pants kid. I learned it two different times. One time in a group of teenagers as an eight-year-old, I made some assertion about nuclear submarines and one of the teenagers knew more about nuclear submarines than I did. And in front of other teenagers made me feel like an eight-year-old. And that hurt. But uh, but in high school, I read Miss Manners voraciously. Like she had a column. Right? She had a, she had a had column, a column, but I liked it so much that I, that I think I asked for the Miss Manners compendium like a lot of high school boys, you loved reading Miss Manners' columns and books. So I, I got her big book, and one of the things that Miss Manners returned to over and over was that a polite adult does not correct other adults. Ah, good. If someone is using the wrong fork, do not 
do not uh, it's, it's a, embarrass it's a small, them. It's a small slight to use the wrong fork. It's a major gaffe to call somebody out for using the wrong fork. Right. And any, any proper adult would never publicly correct another. And that, but you know what you get? Nazism. That's right. Oh, you're just following Oops. orders? <laughs> <laughs> I assume she meant in etiquette-related situations, not like... not uh, uh, Miss Manners... I, I, I think you're going too fast on the highway, or... Miss Manners was anti-Nazi, is that what you're getting at? No, well, I think she was I, there not are t- There are times when it's okay to correct someone. Like, for example, I think this is a one-way street. Oh. You don't want to downplay some of those. Right. I mean, I think if someone is at your cocktail party and they're espousing a racist ideology... <laughs> That Miss Manners would would uh, very gently usher them out, and 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 maybe even would, but I I don't think I think she would put the conviviality of the cocktail party ahead of teaching this person a lesson. Would she take him into the coat room and then explain? Well, I think I think in uh, she she shares your opinion that you're not going to convince this guy not to have this ideology, and that's not your place. You're not going to make him vaccinate his kids, and also she probably would scorn the idea of a virtue signaling scene at a cocktail party where you needed to make a big fuss in order to communicate to the other guests that you found his views abhorrent. But she's from an earlier time. We'll we'll discuss her on an, on an, another entry. I, entry yeah. She's on my list of people to cover. I remember. Do you know the phenomenon of um, hearing a word said and seeing it read and not realizing it's the same word? Oh, I've done it many times. Like Segway was one. You thought it was just Sieg or Sieg, right? I I, uh, I used to think subtle and subtle were two different words as a kid. Interesting, but I also you know transpose letters. In a lot of words, you say and Bastic and Soviet, not just those, pride. but 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 other ones that I do think of as slightly different meanings than the other word that I that I oh, hear spoken. I, I see. Um, I, I well, I I said subtle. I said subtle out loud and subtle. just got roasted by whom? My parents. Oh well, they were they're like, allowed to roast. They were you. like, "You mean subtle?" And I was like, "No, I mean subtle. I know subtle. I'm saying subtle." Yeah. And they were like, "What's the difference?" And that's what made me think about it. I, I was 25 in this. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I was a I was a sure. ch- cheeky little kid. You were learning words. But uh like what like sometimes I, I I was realizing I don't mind getting corrected. If I'm actually wrong, like here's my bright line test. I don't mind being corrected factually if I was actually wrong, but I don't like to be read uncharitably. Like I don't like someone to be like, I interpreted your remark as having an error in it. Right. Although there is a rational reading that's accurate. And I would like to correct the error I found that I created when I heard your. I have an, I have a, almost a didactic mismanners take on it. If you correct me in a way that is rude that uh, that uh, and I think the th- the thing I object to is the presumption that I have not read the same books they have, the the presumption that they are more knowledgeable rather than that I made a mistake or that I didn't possess that nugget of of clarity. Right? If I if I if I take rudeness from their tone, even though internet tone is hard to right. This is parse. when we say tone. This is let's keep in mind. This is a hundred percent happening online. Almost. And almost do you hold those people to the same rules as if they had just come up to you at a thing and been like, "Hey, I heard what you said." Actually, like you, you feel like they should be just as polite online and, and only do so when it would be polite to do it in the room. Yeah, yeah, I do. I, I, I do too. I'm not. I I do not abide. Um, flaming and and if they do i read them the riot act 
It's one of the things that makes me a difficult person online, and it's why I should not go online. It's shocking how many times I get corrected online wrongly. Yeah. Like by someone who is making a mistake they could have fixed in 10 seconds of Googling. Yeah. But they were just confident enough that instead of Googling, they were like, let me just stop you and correct you right there. This happened the other day I, uh, on a different show. I talked about how uh, replacing 100-year-old windows in your house with quote-unquote efficient vinyl windows was a scam for the most part that whatever your cost savings would be um, the, the new windows the new windows you know it would take It'll- you 200 years to pay them off with the small amount of heat that leaks out and somebody uh went on facebook and just excoriated me for it and so probably in, a vinyl window salesman right in reply i just posted a couple of links to articles that said what i was saying and the person, you know, this is the one that infuriates. The person came back and said, well, yes, but... Nobody can ever be wrong. And it's People like... People have to explain why in their heart it wasn't so bad that they were wrong. Yeah. Come and on. then, and my response to that is, there is no but. You owe me an apology or you're canceled. <laughs> is that and what you said or yeah, is that what you that's thought? Yeah, it's what I always say. <laughs> you either apologize now or every subsequent word from you is muted. Here's what I think when I meet. If you're me, here's what I always think. How many games of Jeopardy did I have to win right. for you not to think <laughs> you're smarter than everything I say? Apparently, it's above 74. Is it 100? Is it 200? Yeah. What would finally get you to stop saying wrong things to me? I, I find myself saying, I beg your pardon both in life and online. But with a great high dudgeon, like, uh, yeah, very oh, much I, like, I beg your pardon. You're not actually begging anyone's pardon. No, no, you, no. You're using it to mean the opposite I thing. I do not which want is, their pardon. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but it How is, did I beg your pardon come to mean, <laughs> now see here? <laughs> well, it, it, it may be like begging the question. It means the opposite. Oh, of, we should get to the begging the question. That's yeah. a good one. The, this happened, the, the example that happened yesterday, which is kind of just in a microcosm, a lot of my online life. I'm in a, I'm on a quiz show right now on the game show network mm-hmm. and, uh, humble brag. It's not even humble. <laughs> oh, okay. cause it's on the game show network. It's not on a good network. <laughs> if it had been on like ABC, uh, but I, I was reading a thread where somebody was talking about the show and somebody was like, I just can't stand the constant stream of errors and misinformation that plague the show. I don't see why, you know, Ken or anyone would be on this show. For example, the other day that they mentioned, they were talking about the stomate, the pores on a leaf, a pore on a leaf is called a stomate, and they used the plural and they said stomates, when clearly the plural of stomate is stomata. This is the kind of thing that makes this unusual man right. change the channel. When clearly. He, when he sees this kind of thing. Clearly. And I thought to myself... Okay, first of all, we, weird that you are, are really worked up about the horizontal leaf. Second of all, is that right? So I, take, I did what he did not do, and I took a dictionary down from the shelf behind me and looked up the word. Why, why would he not do this? I don't know. It took you one half of a second. It took me, yeah, yeah. It took me a, a matter of, of seconds, less than a minute, to find out that uh, stomate— the word for a horizontal leaf— the, Is Greek, not Latin. Yeah, the dic- well, the dictionary plural is stomates— Whereas there, there, I think there is a, it would be Greek, right? There is a Greek stoma, and the plural of stoma is stomata, the same way stigma would be stigmata, I guess. I would think that that was Latin. Oh, is that Latin? Well, I mean, don't, don't yell at me about it. 
See, I don't even know. You know what? I'm not ashamed to say when I don't know a thing. Yeah. I, you know what? I'm not even going to look it up. I don't even care. <laughs> <laughs> that's how I, that's, that's my approach to knowledge. Yeah. The, I'm the j- plural of, of octopus is octopata. I know so many important things. I'm not even going to look up crap like this. Uh, but this, so this person was materially wrong. The one thing that made him hate this show was that the plural of stomates was not stomata. And the plural of stomate is not stomata. But that didn't seem to bother him. I don't know if you remember, but when we did uh, Monro- Monrovia, Moravia, um, Moldova, Moldavia, Moldova, Moldavia, uh, someone wrote us immediately afterwards from Moldova saying, there are so many inaccuracies in your episode about Moldova that I am compiling it into a, a long document. Did he ever send us his manifesto? He never did. We never heard from him again. This ha- this does happen to us often, uh, where if somebody knows a lot about the subject on which we speak, they do not like our layperson's uh, thirty thousand foot treatment of it. No, that's right. We've gotten a they few ha- of those. They have plenty of beeves, which is what I insist is the plural of beef. <laughs> they do have plenty of beeves, and it's true that when I. Uh, when I have seen articles in the paper about something I know well or something I felt I was on the inside of or me, yeah. I will often see stuff that makes me go, Psh, no, come Arr. on. But I don't. it usually doesn't rise to factual error. It's usually me being like, come on, you're missing the point. Or, I love that we are complaining about the internet and that you've also extended it to newspapers. <laughs> you complain about the internet. I complain about <laughs> I'm going for the big fish here. Newspaper. Well, anytime. So anytime you see a, a news, whether it's online or offline, about something you know well, news. You just have a way of of, of you. You know, you you have your way of. You know how you would have written it and what ideas right. you would have treated them and how. That's key, right? The the way that the story is framed is right. something I wouldn't have done. Uh, and. You know, it, it doesn't necessarily mean the journalist is doing a bad job or that that is a bad layperson's treatment. I mean, most people reading this are not experts. They presumably learned something new. Yeah. There there was, uh, uh, on my uh, movie podcast, Friendly Fire, we were we reviewed a movie from the 60s about the Algerian War of Independence. Was it the Battle of Algiers? It was the Battle of Algiers. That's a fantastic movie, John. It's a fantastic movie, and it is widely studied in film studies classes. Mm-hmm. And we had some we had some takes both on the film and on the Algerian the war for Algerian independence and on Algerian independence. And someone wrote this like super mad uh manifesto about our take. And it turned out that they taught Algerian uh the you know the Algerian independence movie in at a university and had for 25 years it was their major area of study and this person's wife had written the foremost academic treatise on the Algerian independence movement see in my opinion that person should be blocked from listening to the show well, like your podcast app should should know nope you're an expert on this whatever it is yeah. this REM record this uh whatever it is, you should not listen to this. Every other episode of the show they loved, but this one they could not accept what are that, the odds? We, that we were just three guys that were like, yeah, it's funny, but you know, and I know I, it's not like I'm blind to all the different rivers of, of, uh, 
and he's lived and he's lived a life of whatever factionalism comes out of right. having a very specific idea. Oh yeah, about he's a he's an anti-colonialist and a and a revolution, uh, you know, a university Marxist. And a lot of his complaints were just that we weren't sufficiently uh, revolutionary, you know. But anyway, I, uh, this is my favorite episode of this show we've ever done, where we're just running down all the times that people have been oh, wrong. Oh, yeah, we have no topic. This is just our, en- <laughs> <laughs> this is just our enemies list. Yeah, this is an anniversary <laughs> episode. <laughs> Podcasting is kind of a funny um, venue for this, because you are well aware that tens of thousands of people have heard the same thing and that you get, you get one person saying now, hold on. Oh, just the other day, Don Schaffner yelling at us about how our canning episode was wrong. And yet, well, every, to be fair, we did kill hundreds of people with our bad canning advice. But each one of his, like uh, each one of his points was they were Mostly right, but they forgot but, this tiny little detail that only a food scientist would know. I guess I need to get over the idea that I'm being told I'm wrong yeah. and take a deep breath and maybe receive it in the same spirit in which, you know, in which I hope the kind of charitable spirit in which I would hope that counsel would be offered. You it know, may be I should tell myself this person sounds like he's correcting me. But clearly he's not. And that's an illusion. And I should act as if he's just trying to give me additional uh information doing this show feels very personal right it does not feel like we're just here giving out 10 minutes of information well we're not we're preserving important principles for for thousands of years to come that's right but but that but being motivated to do that project was a personal passion on our part we're we're acting on behalf of Don Chapter uh, should be thanking you for your enthusiasm about canning. Right. I mean, you know, however, where's his podcast about canning? However incomplete and misguided its application. <laughs> Although he does have a podcast about food safety. Don't. That guy in Moldova, though, I bet his podcast is boring. <laughs> well, and that's the thing, right? If you did a podcast that was just about the Algerian independence movement, nobody would want, nobody would care about it. Who would listen to it? A lot of the times when, you know, a lot of these pedantic distinctions come up most starkly on questions of language, right? Oh. Of grammar, of word usage. Oh, this is the this is the low-hanging fruit of the pedant. I guess, because they don't even have to be engaging with your ideas. They can just have a less or fewer light that turns on in their heads. Beep, beep, beep. <laughs> and then the word, I am very smart, the, the sentence, I am very smart, appears on their forehead <laughs> as they tell you that you said, I've had this happen uh, where... Um, I was speaking at a college event, and during the Q&A, some guy raised his hand and said, did you know that you said, um, or you know, 108 times during the half hour you were speaking to us? Wow. And this, you know, this guy went to Toastmasters, and now he thinks he is the life of the congenial life of the cocktail party. But he could not have possibly been listening to a no, word you said. It's evidence that he had not engaged with any idea because he was too busy uh, scorekeeping how many times I said, like, or, you know, evidence that I'm his intellectual inferior. Well, and he would have had to have started doing it immediately <laughs> right. because he was so confident in his number. So it wasn't He didn't that- say, I missed the first five minutes when I could no longer listen to your ideas and had to start counting likes and you knows. Right. He was just like, from the get-go, I wanted to know he's what not, a flop you are. I mean, and he's not wrong. I say, like, or, you know, too much. Yeah. But, sir. It's extremely irritating. I can Sir, barely- this is a Wendy's. <laughs> like, this is a Q&A. Like, what is your cue? Yeah. Like, sir, this is an anecdote. Is that a question? So people get, you know, often hung up on these linguistic things and it's a, it's a gatekeeping device. 
I mean, you feel smart when you catch somebody in a factual error, but when somebody's talking wrong, that's been a marker of class for thousands of years. Talking wrongly. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, For thousands of years. You know, it really is like, I was raised and educated right. This person drops... Correctly. I was educated correctly. This person drops his uh, H's, and therefore, you know, that's what it would be in, in... Victorian London. Well, the the ultimate, you know, is the is the moment when you're in elementary school and you figure out like you and me versus you and I, and you put together whichever whichever version of of the function machine that you're going to throw a sentence into to determine which one of those you're meant to say. Right, because you're supposed to separate it. She said it to you. She said it to me. Right. She said it to, so I, said you to me. And me. She said it to you and me. Yeah. yeah. But not everybody learns that simple technique, and they're, it's, it's so commonplace that you'll get corrected by a teenager. Uh, oh, you mean you and I, which sounds like the more formal you and I, rather than you and me, which sounds casual. There's a couple principles we should go into there. The first is that there is no possible ambiguity when you say, yeah, she was talking to you and I. Like, no actual uh, issue with meaning has been introduced into that sentence by screwing up the pronoun. Right. All you have done is uh, show that you don't have that little engine in your head that figures out which pronoun. Right, and it only clangs to someone who has right. ingr- deeply ingrained that the the sound of it when it's correct and the sound of it and, when and it's likes right. the sound of them correcting others about it. And that's the hard part because I mean I have a I have a good friend who's a who's educated and works in you know a, a uh, he has a a very professional job he's in the public eye and he in his emails uses just. Just terrible grammar, atrocious, uh, the wrong version of your, the wrong version of their, the, you know, it, it's, it's, it's frankly like, uh, uh astonishing he's, sh- that he's a, you know, a man in his fifties. You voted for him. And, uh, and one time I could not, he was set, he sent me a letter to, to get me to fact check it before he sent it to someone else. And I, I, you know, I'd been kind of suffering under this for a long time within our, our friendship. And I wrote him and said, well, th- this is, you know, th- the there that you want. And this is the, you know, the, uh, you do them all. Uh, well, I just was like, you know, here are some corrections you could make in the, to make, to professionalize this. And he wrote me back and said, it's just an email. It's not that big of a deal. Did he get it's right when he said it's I, just I'm an email? I'm almost certain that he didn't. He, <laughs> he did I apostrophe TS. <laughs> and, and he was making this distinction that email was casual, and within a casual letter, you didn't need to be grammatically correct. I mean, that's the kind of code switching that people do. I mean, if you're a young professional from, you know, let's say some kind of you grew up speaking some kind of non-standard English. You know, if you grew up speaking African-American vernacular English, you become very aware that there's one way you talk with your friends and family when you're just doing informal stuff. And then you kind of have to talk according to a not stricter, but different set of rules to a white or corporate audience, just as a marker of class and education. Right. Even if, even if the, uh, the rules of the language you were brought up with are not, looser or wronger or dumber or less logical in any way or wrong they're just <laughs> they're just wrong as one syllable you can say wronger <laughs> but, 
But I mean, he's from Shaker Heights. Like he doesn't. There's no like other vernacular. Right. There's no. I know there's no <laughs> issue of wokeness here. I'm just saying that this is very common for people to have to say, you know what? Yeah. Uh, I turn it on when I'm in a formal setting, and I can turn it off in conversation. Which is interesting because I'm assuming I don't you, do that in written English for sure. You and I are alike in that you, you and would, me, you and me are alike. You, uh, <laughs> you. <laughs> uh, we would not. Um, uh, yeah, that's right. I are alike. <laughs> You'd have, no, I'd have to tr- yeah, in email. I would have to. Tr- I would have to intentionally start making mistakes. I couldn't. Like, like maybe I wouldn't. Maybe I would get rid of a um, a level of double checking to make sure I didn't accidentally put in the wrong. Even there that, or if something. I have the wrong. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, it, never, to, it rarely happens. What when I first started Twitter, I kind of misunderstood the idea and you've talked about this on all of us before yeah the 140 <laughs> characters that's the funniest thing to me you thought every tweet had to be exactly 140 characters and when i realized that why that, would that be the th- okay never know. mind i need to get past this but it was but also i needed them to be grammatically correct i couldn't have a, a sentence fragment i couldn't use uh, uh any kind of like i mean i i used semicolons as i would in in something i was writing as a uh, for a newspaper. That's interesting. Cause in, in email, I will do ellipses out the wazoo. Oh, like okay. I will do dot, dot, dot all day. Whereas of course in a book, I would never do that. I would make it a semicolon or an M dash. But I mean, but, uh, yeah, sure. But an ellipses is a literary device. It, it It's it, fine. Yeah. But like, but I'm fine with online communication, having some kind of informality thought, thought, thought. Yeah, I guess so. I guess I've, I've loosened up a little bit. Certainly within texts, I will say, I beg your pardon, although that's a full sentence. You don't do IBYP? That's what the young, <laughs> the young people are always IBIPing me. This, uh, the phrase Miss Thistlebottom's Hobgoblins, which confusingly led off this entry, comes from... This has been the most bitchy entry we've ever done. and I've, uh, Nobody's still listening. We can, <laughs> you can say whatever now. No, they're all tweeting at us. If like, you have weird racial theories, now's the time, because no one's listening to this. Imagine on the on the uh, Futurelings Facebook page how many bad grammar posts there are going to be. Uh, in 1971... Uh, Theodore Bernstein, uh, managing editor for assistant managing editor for the New York Times, Ted, we call him, wrote his book *Miss Thistlebottom's Hobgoblins*. He had written a series of books, I think at least seven books, about issues of language and grammar and usage uh, from his life as a journalist and an, an acolyte of E.B. White. Somebody, uh, you know, that's a field where you take words seriously. The economy of them is important. The precision of them is important. It's not a novel, like actual real world consequences result from how you order words and express ideas. And there are different style guides, so there is room for some dispute. To this day, like the AP might be okay with leaving the hyphen out of email, and yet the New Yorker still does it. Do you put a umlaut over the second O in cooperation? That's the famous thing that the New Yorker (laughs) still does. They sure do. And nobody (laughs) else does it, and they're kind of proud of it. Yeah, every time I'm just like, oh my God. Stop it. I've got a bad case of diuresis. <laughs> the, uh, the thing I'm that, not going to ring the bell. The thing that the New York Times does that I hate is that they'll always say Mr. Like it's 1826. The, after the, they'll say, uh, you know, Elon Musk or whatever. But then every subsequent mention will oh, be Mr. Mr. Musk. Mr. Musk also commented on Mr. Rogan's podcast that he enjoyed the use of marijuana. And it sounds so old timey what would you prefer well uh, he does his i mean it was just use the last name you just say musk that's what oh. every, that's what every other oh, what news organization musk in the world commented does. on rogan's podcast it's possible that the times is now elon musk then mr musk then musk 
but I can't remember. Maybe that's true. Like for, second mention, Mr. Third mention surname. Like I wrote an, uh, uh, this is not a humble brag at all. This is a straight up brag. I wrote an op-ed for the New York Times a couple months ago. and I Go on. And I exactly structured it so that they could not... I, I explicitly made it a point in the op-ed that I was calling Alex Trebek Alex because of the, you know, the close relationship the viewer has with him. We feel like we know him. Right. And so once I had said that, they could not change it to Mr. Trebek. So I got around their style guide and was super happy about it. What a inside baseball moment what for a coup. you. When it comes to meat, quality makes a huge difference in texture and taste. And even though it might be better for you and the environment, a lot of the higher quality meat you find at the grocery store is just too expensive for most people's budget. Thankfully, there's ButcherBox. ButcherBox believes everyone deserves access to high-quality, humanely sourced meat at an affordable price. That's why each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of the finest cuts right to your home. Choose from 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage pork, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and sugar and nitrate-free bacon. No antibiotics, no added hormones, just meat the way meat should be. And right now, you can get two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon absolutely free, plus $20 off your first box when you visit butcherbox.com slash iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. That's butcherbox.com slash iHeart or use the promo code iHeart at checkout. Bernstein's book, Miss Thistlebottom's Hobgoblins, kind of takes the opposite view of a lot of usage in grammar books. It's all about how you shouldn't be a stickler. The subtitle was The Careful Writer's Guide to the Taboos, Bugbears, and Outmoded Rules of English Usage. Oh, this is the outmoded rules He's argument. sticking it to the rules, saying they're mere taboos and bugbears. Yeah, well, and you hear this a lot. I mean, I think even my friend with the, with the bad email grammar made made a similar point that you know that a lot of that stuff is outdated hey, if you look and, at chaucer's emails yeah that's right he's he used the wrong your all the time you and your archaic you know non-esperanto language but there's something to it like he's not wrong a lot of these uh distinctions that grammarians really cling to and fight wars over do not exist like they were invented via whole cloth because some guy writing a usage guide just didn't like the sound of something huh. or maybe wanted to be a gatekeeper and invent a rule that only he was following because only he knew about it uh-huh. or, you know, thought it's he and his more educated friends happened to say it like this. So he thought it had the ring of, of erudition. Is this the is this the usage of an as opposed to. Oh, uh, like when you say an historic an event. historic event. Well, Precisely. that's another thing I wanted to talk about Hi- that comes into play with the. Uh, she said to you and I, which is hypercorrection. There's an impulse we have to take grammatical rules too far and, uh, and think, you know, if I sound smarter, you know, a lot of people get you and me wrong. I'll sound smarter if I always say you and I. Yes. But then when you start putting in object clauses, of course, you've made a new mistake. You've gone too far. You've hypercorrected. Right. And I find myself, I'm, it turns out I'm super uh, vulnerable to this. Um, like when I read aloud, like Mindy and I often like read novels to each other. And I often find that I will say kind of this atrophied British pronunciation of things. Like I will say equilibrium, even though my whole life I've said equilibrium because 
when you're reading out loud and you have time to think, you're like, oh, guess what? I'm going to say this the smart way. The equilibrium. Three, two, one, equilibrium. How do you like that? Or, uh, old boy. I don't know. My kids were giving me a hard time the other day for saying syrup. Uh huh. Because they think that. Do you say syrup? I say syrup. I say syrup. But they thought, they thought I was putting on airs by saying syrup. So it's good to know that Caitlin and Dylan, in in that order, keep you uh, on your toes. But I will get manuscripts back from editors who enforce some of these taboos and bugbears. Oh, you do? Yeah, when I write a thing. So something that will invariably happen is I'll get a manuscript back and all the likes will be changed to such as. Oh, dear. Are you aware of this rule? You're not supposed to say, magazines like Vanity Fair often publish. Oh, no. Because what that implies is that Vanity Fair doesn't do it, but other similar magazines do. And there are no similar magazines. Well, not, Vanity not Fair in the opinion of the, Vanity Fair. The only one. The, the implication is that you should be using like for comparison. Right. And such as for example. Par example. Right. And so they go through and they change all these things so that they're saying, um, um, people such as him don't. <laughs> <laughs> or, uh, yeah, right. you know, and, uh, and I don't really have an objection, a semantic objection. I just don't like the way it rolls off the tongue. Like I, I want it to sound like I talk. And I would say, and I think not sound like a dummy, um, cities like Seattle have problems with, and it doesn't make you sound smarter to add the syllable and say cities such as Seattle. It sounds like, it sounds like you're, sounds like circumlocution. It sounds like you're beating around the bush to me. It does. But I feel like there are a few, uh, I mean, in a, in a long piece of prose to break up the monotony or, you know, there, there are times when there are times when you can use such as just to kind of give it a little bounce, but why would you ever make a case? You should be deploying it on purpose. That's right. But you know, the Washington post has that in their style guide such as, so I'll get the op-ed back and it'll now say TV shows such as jeopardy. And I'll just have to, you you can run and grin and bear it. You can't, you can't combat it as a celebrity that you're writing in your own vernacular. John, they broke Watergate. They took right, down Nixon. Right. You can't you can't tell those people anything. They're behind a paywall now. Who can even read them? But this is a this is a, a, a prime example of a Miss Thistlebottom's hobgoblins. Uh, he, in I guess in the book Bernstein um use invents. No, no, wait a minute. You've re- I, I you've, said Bernstein you, too. But you've also referenced uh, uh, all the president's men now, so we have to clarify which Bernstein. I'm not talking right. about Carl Bernstein. Uh, Theodore. Bernstein, or possibly Bernstein. Uh, Ted. Teddy. Teddy, we call him. Good old TB. He invents kind of this archetypal character, this starchy eighth grade English teacher, you know, kind of a, a, a fussy older woman who is always getting on her students about what to her seem like very clear distinctions between good English and bad English. And in fact, she's wrong about them. Right. And it's a little bit, I, I would say it's a little bit problematic that he genders it like this. Mm, well. It's not the fault of a, it's not some imaginary woman's fault if male dictionary editors have been pushing prescriptive usage at us all Well, but Miss Thistlebottom, I mean, she's wrap your knuckles with her ruler. I had a French teacher who was not a native French speaker or even a French speaker, but just someone who knew a little more French than we did. And she was routinely correcting us in ways that, I mean, her pronunciation was a hundred times worse than mine. It was not formidable. Sacre bleu. It was not fantastique. Uh, in the case of like and such as, 
it's one of many cases where uh, the rule turns out to be wrong and pretty much imaginary. Oh, interesting. You know, it's easy to find the best writers in the language using like to indicate examples. Jane Austen in Mansfield Park says, good sense like hers will always act when really called upon. And that's because you would sound like a dummy if you said good sense such as hers. <laughs> Charles Darwin wrote, to argue that because a well-stocked island like Great Britain has not, as far as is known, and that's a case where such as would actually work would in the sentence, but like is not a problem. And if you go back further than that, it turns out that the Old English word that became like actually... Uh, suggested an example it suggested specificity and the use of examples you know whereas the word swelka which is what such as came from actually suggests comparison interesting so you can't even appeal to the the legacy of these words no, it, to it, make it, your gatekeeper point it's interesting to think that the language is uh the language in its sort of most perfect form is the one used by uh, by the well-known literary creators. It's the Queen's English argument, except rather than the language spoken by the Queen, it's the language spoken by our, right. our if, preeminent writers. If Dickens writers. or Shakespeare did it, then you've got the stamp of approval. Right. Which is, you know, I, I guess it's true, right? The language doesn't, doesn't live in a vacuum. There's not a perfect form that I mean, is... Supposedly, they, you would think these people would have good ears for what constituted clear and elegant prose in their time. Right. They'd be, a good, they'd be the best reflection of how... Pe and, and Although you can't point to Ulysses or Gravity's Rainbow and say, <laughs> no. this is intelligible. And it doesn't work anymore. <laughs> I mean, today, honestly, that, that's a good point. Like today, because the novel can be avant-garde, right. it's probably going to be journalism or you know, well-respected quasi-academic writing. It's right. going to be nonfiction I mean, that becomes our benchmark. It can't be literary language. I, I mean, it can't be literary criticism because that is, uh, is half the time is just, just gibberish. Smirky, that's right. And also ac other academic writing. It can't be legalese. Who is the best English speaker? I mean, it's a... Uh... Whom? Whom is... <laughs> I've often said that what we speak here in the Pacific Northwest is the most elevated form of English because it's the one that has evolved most uh, most completely from uh, the Queen's English. We're the furthest away. It has gone through the coffee filter of all the Americas. The Ohio Valley, the That's Mississippi right. River Valley, the Colorado. Our all, all these things purify the language, and by the time it gets to us... Because we do speak... What what you think of as television anchor it's English? It's here. pretty unaccented English here. Um, when you're traveling overseas and you meet someone else from the Northwest, and you hear them in a context where everyone is speaking a kind of you know uh, accented English of one or another kind, it's always crazy to me that I can uh, I can meet some traveler somewhere and go, "Are you from?" Vancouver, Washington, and they're like, oh, how did you, you know, like, I'm from Centralia. We're like the white balance <laughs> that you hold up to the camera. Yeah. So you can spot all the other little inaccuracies. I mean, you certainly couldn't say like, New Zealand English is the is the the archetype. Well, it's a it's a moving target. I mean... And maybe it's Hollywood there, that establishes Yeah, that. I mean, that's true. I mean, in the, in the UK, it was received pronunciation, the way the BBC talked, and it was very, it's a very specific kind of crisp English, but there's an upper class accent now that a hundred years ago, 
would have connoted nothing but class and good breeding. You're talking about the Mid-Atlantic accent? No, I'm actually going further back than that. I'm talking about uh, a very kind of uh, starchy, upper-class British accent. Oh, sure. That to us now sounds like a speech impediment. <laughs> like these people say their R's like W's. Oh, sure. And you're thinking, you know, it's a P.G. Woodhouse character or something, and you're thinking, what is wrong with this guy? And in fact, that was a, sh- a sign of breeding at the time, to have this kind of, you know, mowage kind of British accent. Well, but of course, at that point, uh, inbreeding in the upper classes had reached a point where it may have been a speech <laughs> Yeah, maybe impediment. his mouth shape, was, that was the best he could do. Uh, the other thing the editors always change when I write is... Uh, Wee-wee Swadawick! <laughs> The other thing that always gets changed in my writing is that uh, over gets changed to more than. Hmm. Um, you're not supposed to say uh, over 500 people or over $1,000. You're supposed to say more than. Oh, I thought you meant that the song should have been more than there, more than there. No, no, no. More than words by extreme should have been over words. <laughs> <laughs> this rule, ruling quotes, uh, more than is better than over, uh, apparently never existed at all. It appears to have been invented out of the whole cloth by American poet and, and critic William Cullen Bryant uh, in, in, the, what in the 19th century. A lot of these guys wrote uh, usage guides of what constitutes good language. Guides this, or editorials, uh, or were they one and the same at the time? I think I think the, I think he's not. I think it's not an essay. I think it's actually a, a usage guide. And he was, you know, he's thinking, well, I'm the genius who wrote to a waterfowl and Thanatopsis, and guess what? I don't like the sound of over. And so there's no antecedent for this. You can't find any previous authority saying that this is good or bad language. Well, so at this point, one guy makes it up, and now I'm my now my copy editor knows it, and uh, and I'm running scared. When he writes that, is he saying initially? Is he saying um, he offered no rationale, which is the other interesting thing? Well, but is he saying here is my style guide? These are my preferences, and then a later uh, generation takes it as canon, or is he actually saying no other writer should? Nobody ever said, nobody seems to have the self-awareness, you know, like apparently it's so visceral what, what sounds good to your ear. Right. That you can't distinguish it from correct. Yeah. Um, Raymond Chandler used to hate it when his editors would change all his, uh, recast his sentences to get rid of the split infinitives. But wasn't he always writing in a kind of hard boiled, um, like, uh, street yeah. vernacular. Yeah. And I think that's, but even out of dialogue, you know, like sometimes he had a certain rhythm where he liked a, a split infinitive just to refresh the memories of the future who probably does not, is not constrained by English grammar. Right. They're uh, just, they're telepathically laughing at, at, uh, the whole premise of this show. You're not supposed to put a, an adverb or another modifier between the two and the verb. So you're not supposed to say to boldly go where no man has gone before. Captain Kirk is making a grammatical mistake there. You're supposed to say, to go boldly where no man has gone before. And uh, clearly that's an example where, I mean, you can see the problem there, that yeah. it's that the, set, the, the sentence does not have the right rhythm if you say, to go boldly where no man has gone before. Like, to boldly go really has the but up, but up. It does. That you're going for. Um, but, but, and this is a... This but there, is are other, a, there are other sentences where it's, it's a matter of meaning, where... Um, you know, it, it's not just the rhythm. It actually sounds nonsensical if you want to say, uh, you know, if you want to say, I want to get to really know you. I want to get really to know you. I want right. to get to know you really. I mean, you have to say, 
you the really sometimes to get the meaning right. Right. You have to put something between the two and the verb. And Chandler would often go back and change his notes. And he he once he wrote to his editor, "God damn it, when I split an infinitive." It stays split. <laughs> Good man. But it was an early case where writers were realizing that the editors were just wielding these rules arbitrarily. George Bernard Shaw, I think, would actually send uh, letters of congratulation to writers who would split infinitives because he was so tired of his priggish editors. This, but there, uh, the, are, there are many cases where splitting the infinitive makes it less intelligible. So it becomes yeah, a, generally it's it a, becomes a place where there just shouldn't be a rule. Not yes. a place where the rule should be the opposite. Like the rule of thumb should be, you know, which way is the sentence smoother? Right. And this is another one that's just purely arbitrary. Just like William Cullen Bryant liking more than, better than, over. The, there's no record of any kind of rule about split infinitives until the early 19th century. Some American schoolmaster puts it in a text. And then these hobgoblins just snowball out of control. It does feel like the language, and this is a... This is a thing where you, where I mean, poetry being the classic example. As soon as you try to codify its its uh, traditions, or or I mean, you know, there's always going to be somebody that that tries to violate them because, in a, in a way, it's just the spirit of poetry. I wonder if do you think some of these do come out of intentional violations and and uh, iconoclasm? I think I think the opposite. There's always going to be an uh, an impulse on the part of some people oh. to try to take art and describe it to the point that it becomes duplicable and uh, and interpretable by anyone. And you get retrenchment, right? Like the more the more you see people insist, the more George Bernard Shaw insists that sometimes you should split the infinitive. If you're hardcore. You know, the the more you're gonna, that's gonna firm up your convictions that you need to stick up for the rule. Well, and in a way, it may be um, that you could make an argument that it was, in fact, a populist impulse to make the uh, difficult to interpret oh, interesting. more systematized, so that any it's man easier to learn. Yeah, right, and and also easier to write and read but it gets used in an anti-populist sense it, almost all the time and i wonder what i wonder whether that was always true or whether it was a, a situation where it was perverted um because we're talking about an era where uh universal education was a thing that was also being uh, introduced for the first time and a lot of these seem to come out of these frontier american schoolrooms, these made-up rules if there's any one thing i'm gonna pedant you about Frontier. That's another one. Anybody could look up in the dictionary and see that frontier is an acceptable pronunciation, and yet they still harangue me. Yeah. Uh, So it's these American schoolrooms where there's no, you know, where we want this new rising generation to have access to all these rules to let you write educated English. Right. There weren't really schoolmasters and like frontier schoolmasters. There we go. That sounds good. It does. I just had like a little shiver up my spine. That's like ASMR to me. There should be a podcast that's just us saying frontier. Yeah. Just out there on the frontier. How about ending a sentence with a preposition? What do you think about that one? I, I work hard to not do it, except there are situations where it just to, to do the opposite. I mean, I test it out every time I see a preposition at the end of a sentence. I immediately... You've had, so you've had all this drilled into you by teachers. Absolutely. And I immediately try and rework the sentence. And if I can't, if reworking it takes more than just a glimpse, if it's like, oh, well, you know, like 
for whom to, you know, I, I, I immediately just say, I'm going to let it ride. But it's surprising how often you can just remake the sentence and it's more, and yes. it's more economical and, and more elegant. In many of these cases, you know, the general rule should not be a, a straitjacket into which every sentence is stuffed. Right. But it's a, it's a, it, it might sound a little more elegant. The, the, pre- the preposition one, it may have actually, this one actually seems to have a long legacy of, of people discussing whether or not it's good practice. John, uh, John Dryden famously put down Ben Johnson for his common fault of ending a sentence with a preposition. So even in Dryden's time, it was okay to, to bag on the Elizabethans right. who ended a sentence with a preposition. Well, and I wonder but if for, it, for a hundred, but for a hundred years, no usage guide, by the way, has enforced this rule for the, for the most recent hundred years. Yeah. Like it's been a hundred years since any usage guide actually said, don't end a sentence with a preposition. Really, It just has not filtered down to the Mr. And Miss Thistlebottoms. Well, it does seem like another example of, um, of, of a thing that, that a newly educated person might use as a kind of as a cudgel, a cudgel against someone who's who they consider to be slightly less educated. A little learning is a dangerous thing. But you and I both had that drilled into us, right? At, at a time that you're saying was 70 years after the last time anybody cared. And, but a time that for us was very formative. Like if you grow up being told, here are the rules, you will follow them. Do you also try not to end a sentence with a preposition? I do. And I guess... I wonder if it has something to do with the idea that prepositions are often short and to leave them hang at the end of a situation kind of seems like the sentence is teetering on a right, point it's, like it's that. It's inelegant. But you wouldn't think that if you ended this, if you wouldn't say, come with me, you wouldn't be like, ooh, the last word's a little too short there. That's a really short, tight sentence, though. There's a famous, the famous uh, but apocryphal Winston Churchill story is him being corrected for ending a sentence with a preposition. And saying, this is something up with which I shall not put. (laughs) Which kind of illustrates that it it cannot be a blanket rule. Right. In 2012, the AP, uh, the Associated Press, actually changed its style guide to get rid of another famous hobgoblin, which is uh, using hopefully as a sentence adverb, a sentence modifier. Oh, I see what you mean. Hopefully, uh, this will all work out. And... Did you know that's did you know that's kind of a classroom error? Yeah, I remember this now. Because that what it implies is in a hopeful manner, this should all work out. Right. And that makes no sense. Um But hopefully is it is in that category of words yes. whose meaning and tense has even changed over time. Well, there's so many words like that. There's so many adverbs that you can use to modify a whole sentence. Like when you say, fortunately, right. the fire was put out. Nobody was saying, oh, the fire was put out in a fortunate manner, you know. <laughs> <laughs> like how did the fire have a point of view? You know? And that does seem to be a thing where, where the language is evolving and we're just in a, some sort of uh, middle ground. What, what, the way what, an adverb performs right. is, is maybe being seen to change. Maybe it's because I come from a family of lawyers, but I feel like whether or not there's ambiguity should be the real issue. Right. And it's hard to think of a sentence where it's not clear whether hopefully means I hope that or in a hopeful manner. I mean, I guess if you said something like, hopefully she asked him if we can go to Disneyland. Cause that could mean she asked him, hopefully if we can go. Right. Or I hope that, but even then it should be clear from context. There are there, the cases where I feel like it's, it's okay to maintain the bright line test and be a little more prescriptive rather than descriptive are ones where, you know, the, the ambiguity is leading to the word getting, deprecated like have you noticed how nonplussed 
used to mean surprised. Yeah. And, and now we use it to mean unimpressed. Yeah, right. Which is the opposite of surprised. But and how, so now the word is just tainted. Like you can't use it either way. How can you stand athwart that? Uh, because it's, it, again, it's a context issue. If somebody uses nonplussed to mean blasé, there's no mistaking what it means. It would only be... I think you can mistake it, right? Like when, it, she, when she told me, when she told me that... Uh, she had a third nipple. I was nonplussed. Yeah, but it, it's, I mean, it's, are, are you surprised or are you not? It has become it has become synonymous with blasé to the degree that it would be only a real fancy pants that used it correctly. It's this true. is this is the begging the question problem. Right? I was I was just going to say that's yeah. another case where we could just easily say raises the question or suggests the question, but we don't have another word for the specific logical fallacy that is suggested circular reasoning that is suggested by begging the question right but but the but to, and that's quite new in the last 20 it was only in the last 20 years that people have started to say begs the question hyper correcting because i think they sound smart to me and raises the question i think probably uh the 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 meaning of begs the, the proper meaning of begs the question is a lot more of an esoteric concept yeah. so it wouldn't it's have a, gotten it's used. a term of art in in logical reasoning and argument right but once it once it, once it escaped from it escaped, that corral yeah, yeah and then then it, it just it's suggests airborne. that's right it becomes a virus and 90 percent of the people that hear it are like i know exactly what that means you're begging this question and it's like uh. have you always wanted to learn to play an instrument maybe you've even tried at some point but gave up because you felt lessons were too expensive or that you just didn't have the time thankfully there's musician Musician is the fun, easy, and affordable way to learn guitar, piano, bass, ukulele, and even singing. Just download the app to your desktop, tablet, or phone and start playing. Musician gives you 24-7 access to a vast catalog of video lessons from professionally trained educators, as well as thousands of exercises and songs across dozens of music genres, all tailored to your goals. And with Musician's award-winning technology that listens to you play, you'll get real-time feedback on timing and accuracy so you can actually see yourself improving as you learn. Start your extended 14-day free trial of Musician's Premium Plus package at musician.com start that's unlimited access to thousands of lessons exercises and songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks just go to musician.com slash start that's y-o-u-s-i-c-i-a-n.com slash start our friend uh maria semple the novelist she actually gifted me when she heard i didn't have a copy she sent me a copy of a usage guide by Brian Garner. I do not know it. Uh, it's a fantastic usage guide because he uses, he harnesses the power of Google n-grams, you know, the historical tracking of usage yeah. to actually express mathematically how tainted, for example, nonplussed is. You know, he's got this list of stages, stage one, two, three, four, five, almost like you're watching a cancer progress where you say... Or it's, it transitions, right? It goes from a meaning, and then there's a period where it's very confused, and then a new right. meaning like, arises. Do you, is it the point where you still sound like you're ignorant, or is it well-established enough that it's clear what you're doing, or has the word gotten so tainted that you shouldn't use it either way because it's just too fraught now. Well, it's interesting about begs the question because it's one of those things that if you use it incorrectly, you do risk a pedant swinging in on a vine. <laughs> just popping up out of a manhole to actually you. Just to say actually. Yeah. Now, that pedant almost certainly does not find occasion to use begs the question properly 
but they do know this is an example of an incorrect usage and they're just waiting for somebody to do it. That's a good one because you can trap them and be like, remind me what makes the question actually yeah. means because they probably don't know the, the philosophical and logical definition. But it's it, it then became a thing where I would start a sentence to use it incorrectly, stop myself, and then pick a different phrase at which point, and I've actually been... I've actually been congratulated by people in real time. Like, oh, good thing you stopped yourself. You know, I you was said raises the question. Yeah. And and it, it 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 is a form of I mean, it does play into our tendency to self-edit anyway, right? To kind of always be monitoring our own speech and writing. To make sure it gives the right impression about us. That's right. And to, and also to be as lucid as possible to, you know, to make our point. Cause it's not just that we're putting this into the record for future. An idea appears in your head and you're like, I need to turn this into a sentence, but, but it's not a sentence when it's in your head. Right. It's just a, it's just a concept and it's not always clear what order it becomes a sentence. So you are bringing it to life in some sense and language is our primary tool. I mean, do you agree that, pre-language there is that that language facilitates consciousness i absolutely do and it's and it's just based on anecdotally like having ideas that were very nebulous until i had to express them or prepare remarks about them and literally casting them as sentences let me look at them and decide if i believed in them what the weaknesses were as soon as you try and write a paper that has multiple theses and you lay out a thesis and then your subsequent theses cast shadow, yeah. and you're like, I have to change my thinking on this. I have to either refine it or abandon it. That's pretty heavy stuff. I mean, that's that's a that's beautiful, but also frustrating and humiliating. So when you think about some of these changes, I mean, if you look at Bernstein's book now, a lot of them just seem like ridiculously arbitrary. Uh, Flea splitting. That's not the expression. Flea splitting. Flea yeah. splitting. Why would you split a flea? It's so hard. Uh, the you, sort of you know, d- he, he, d- Damascus. Damascus. He, <laughs> he rails against people using alternative to mean a choice between three things because the Latin root alter suggests one, one or, or the other. other right. Uh, he rails against people who are picky about using fraction because all quantities are technically a fraction. You should never say... Uh, a fraction of the population because even 100% of the population is a fraction. Is a fraction. This used to be an objection to the word fraction. Right. You could not say a third alternative. Right. You were not supposed to say a third alternative and you were not supposed to use loan as a verb. I guess this was still controversial in the 70s. How would you loan someone a... No, you lend it. Oh, you lend Lend is the verb and loan is the... Of course. But these things just get established so quickly and then the the caravan moves on and the thing that was the, the, the... battlefront is is not even contested anymore well so how do you rank or how does this community rank strunk and white or the chicago style manual or the new york times style guide i feel like the general you know the the general approach to language in something like strunk and white which is you know the value of terseness and precision and you know elegance and you know the, the principles survive it's just the way that they're expressed, the ridiculously specific ways in which they're expressed. Um, that's just how it's, that's how it strikes your ear. And that, that changes like from month to month. Like when you, when you look at how fast young people pick up a new expression now, which they usually have 
stolen from black Twitter or gay Twitter or something. Right. And then it becomes high school slang on fleek. And three weeks later, moms are saying on fleek and then it's done. Like it's that not e- done. I say on fleek every single day. That expression sounded different to an American ear, four different ways, whether you looked on the beginning of the month, the middle of the month, the end of the month or the end of the next month. That's like right. that's how fast it traveled. And I yeah. think that process is speeding up. So I think it's no longer, it's like when 30 to 50 uh, feral hogs run into your yard w- within three to five minutes. The real battleground of this now is something like the singular they, because that brings in not just grammar snobs, but all kinds of issues related to identity. gender and identity. Right. So it's super fraught. And in fact, a lot of these people who are pretending to be, you know, basically there's no good word, there's no good gender neutral pronoun in English. In the 19th century, people tried to get Thon to catch on. Mm-hmm. He, she, or Thon. Mm-hmm. Thon did not catch on. It's hard to say. What were they thinking in the 19th century Thon represented? I think it's comes from, it, it's a created word, but I think it does have... Um, but it was for people that were on a gender spectrum, or it was for people... No, it's, some for, other- it's, it's for a sentence where you say... Uh, the reader may not understand what Thon is reading. I see, but to, because he and she, well, it was always lo- difficult. For a long time, you would just use he, right. and it was not problematic. You Until would just assume recently. you would assume the average normal reader slash person was a male. Males are the default. And then for a while, it was s slash he. I still like s slash he. I, don't I know do you, too. I don't know how you read it. Shahi. 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 Um, or you do the thing where you kind of alternate, you make sure some of your sentences are he and some are she. And I did that in my first book and I got an angry letter from some guy being like, that really took me out of it when you used she, come on. What about X H E? Oh, I've never seen that one. She, I think it was short lived. I've seen H I R for his or her here. Or, or him or her yeah. even because it uses one letter from each. I, I guess you say here, here, it uh, will be, it will be very interesting from a futureling's standpoint to see how this era of pronoun shakes out mm-hmm. um, because it is very political as well. So it, it does seem like the language is evolving in this, uh, in this quadrant, but you certainly don't want to make an appeal to usage as a way of um, shaming people for their pronouns because the singular they actually has a long tradition. The Oxford English Dictionary lists 1375 as the oldest site. Of it, they being used yeah, as a, each, as a each man, pronoun. Each man hurried till they drew near. I mean, it's so, it's so old that this text sample has like characters we don't have anymore. The Icelandic thorn, some weird backwards three. But there are many instances in, in written and spoken language where they slots in uh, very naturally. And he or she does not. Yeah. Or, and that's, or, or, well, but, but also vice versa. There, there are instances now where they, substituting for a, a gendered pronoun, feels like a, like a new and novel it, it doesn't it doesn't roll so much as you know as as um I mean if you're using my bright line test of ambiguity, it does possibly introduce a problem where it's not clear if you're referring to a single person of unspecified or neutral gender or whether there's should be some is there a plural antecedent in the sentence I should be looking for and um, and I guess it it's a question of does this become a universal coinage where where yeah once enough people do it. I mean, that gendered pronouns are archaic and everyone is referred to as they. I mean, that would be the dream, that, I guess. That, like, that seems to be the, that's that's not, one argument. Yeah, because not every, you know, every language does this differently, whether you gender pronouns or articles or nouns. It's not, it's not like there's some logical reason why we need him or her. But, but 
short of that, we're now in a world where you uh, you need. I mean, certainly, it's traditional, if some, yeah, yeah, if someone specifies what their pronoun is, it would be respectful to use it. But as someone just, at, for instance, reporting on a scene, it would be impossible to know. Uh, how everyone preferred to be addressed. And in that case, you would either have to choose they, which would suggest that it become universal gendered pronouns be, be damned. And this is in English only, right? I mean, in Spanish, everything is gendered. Right. In, um, in you know, a table, is, a table is a, is a girl and a chair is a boy. No, right. wait, a chair is a girl too. A pencil is a boy. So in, in any kind of Latin language, romance language, it would, it would re- require a complete i mean i guess and a, and a lot of language a lot of languages have, have the neuter already weirdly they have male female female and neuter this is true in japanese right yeah i think german has the three german has das der and, and d. d so you know so much for there are only two genders right like, boom boom and that concludes miss thistlebottom's hobgoblins entry 795.ps1912 Certificate number 41607 in the Omnibus. Even the title Miss Thistlebottom's Hobgoblins suggests that Miss Thistlebottom is not only, uh, I mean, it suggests that she's a spinster, right? Otherwise she would be Uh, Mrs. Thistlebottom. Or if she's a modern woman, Ms. Ms. Thistlebottom. Although I've noticed Ms. going out, right? Like my kids' schools, it's all the teachers are all Miss and Mrs. I still use Ms. I find I do it too. Pretty. I find it pretty elegant. Are we like from the lone decade that where Ms. doesn't sound like a weird overreach? Maybe. I mean, you remember the the period when there was a lot of cultural resistance to Ms. Sure, like it was a way, it was just like anything else, it becomes a way to be like, look at what these weirdos are doing to our culture. Yeah, for a long time in the 70s, I think my dad said it with quotation marks around it. Ms. so-and-so. <laughs> but it felt, it always felt like natural to me, although I think it's probably going out because comment or uh, describing or addressing a woman based on her marital status is probably an archaic thing. Because nobody's getting married? Well, because we don't talk about men. I mean, men don't have a uh, a. We don't address them differently, whether they're married or not. But then you have to choose for a woman. Like they still have the two between. And I think Ms. was the. Maybe it's going out just because we use first names more now. You right. Know? Nobody like in your office it used to be like Miss Buxley. Would you come in here and take a letter? The, the Miss Buxley, the neighbor kids, uh, the friend, my my daughter's friends for a while tried to call me John and I said sitting on my sitting in my high my my tall chair I said do not call me John I am Mr. Roderick and they laughed and scurried out of the room like the little mice they are and they've now settled on Marlo's dad <laughs> Marlo's dad they to you they would use that oh, yeah wow. because they they know not to call me John, but they have no idea how to call me Mr. Roderick. Like Mr. Roderick. I mean, it's true. They're not wrong. That sounds like a Bronte character. Yes, that's exactly. What, and that's what you want. I am a Bronte character, and that is how I want to be. I mean, you know, <laughs> a nine-year-old doesn't get to choose how they address an adult, but it's become so... Children of the future, John. Ugh. They do get to decide, actually. They are garbage. We are canceled. We're old. We're I'm past. afraid not. I remain... Like a ragtag fugitive I fleet. I remain sincerely yours, <laughs> Mr. Mr. Roderick. Roderick. Um, 
Futurelings, in the unlikely event that you even have any pronouns at all, you just refer to each other by a collective no, rubbing. By a pinging sound effect. That's right. It's the Windows startup sound. <laughs> My name is the uh, iPhone marimba sound. Bing. Hello. <laughs> oh, no, wait. That's the, IQ, that's the Nokia sound. Yeah, that's the, What's marimba? the ringtone. What's the marimba uh, ring? I can't do it. No, what is it? It's uh, Yeah, it should just be... What do I use for my wake-up sound? Auga! Auga! That's you, what they'll say. You've got a slide whistle. My name is actually... Jennings. My name is... My name is... <laughs> my name is... Uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram hopefully don't exist, but we are at Omnibus Project in all of, uh, on all of those platforms. Um, uh, Please our, correct our grammar there. Yeah, that's. I don't even know. I'm so lost right now. I just want to go home. Oh, wait, I am home. Uh, our handles on social media, personal handles, were at Ken Jennings and at John Roderick. I also was on Instagram uh, under my name. Uh, I, I need to remind you to follow me on Twitter because I need to bulk up my Twitter following in order to Stop being bullied by Ken. You're really in a full court press here for Twitter followers. Well, yeah, because I just, just realized. Just get some bots. Get some Russian bots no, to follow. Is that you. how you did it? That's all of my, literally oh, all of my followers that is so are just tweeting like, hashtag MAGA, like all day. That is so disappointing. Did I ever tell you the story of watching Colin Malloy's Twitter followers go from zero to a million? <laughs> for the first six months of his, his tenure on Twitter, he only followed one person, me, and he had the same number of Twitter followers that I did for about a week and then they went to a million. You'd think some of those people would have been like, who's, hey, who's, that, who's that one person that Colin follows? Because I mean, they were all bots. But now he carries all this cachet. He wanders the world. He gets not on it, the, I'm sure it's, I, I have to break this to you. It's not on the basis of his Twitter. No, followers. He gets, he gets, he doesn't show his treatment. million follower thing at Domino's. <laughs> do you remember clout? Free cheesy bread. Do you remember clout? clout with a K? Oh, I think I'm going to do an episode on clout. Does that mean I have to remember my cloud score? It was pretty good. I bet we could find them. I had a pretty good one, too. There was a time when people said, you're going to get preferential treatment in hotels and airports based on your cloud score. Well, that stuff is coming in China, right? Like, if you if you have a certain number of Facebook demerits, like, suddenly you can't travel out of your home prefecture or whatever. Like, right. they're starting to institute all this Black Mirror stuff. <laughs> anyway, at Jen- Ken Jennings, at John Roderick. All you need to remember is at John Roderick. We have recently gone independent of any of our corporate media masters as a as a way of trying to control the quality of the advertising on the show and as a way of uh, asserting uh, our proprietary uh, power over our show and our Patreon account where you can support the show with a financial contribution, small or large, depending on your uh, from each according to their means to us. Their means? From each according to his or her means. From See? each according to here means. <laughs> Fawn's means. Uh, to us according to our need. Uh, that is omnibus. Uh, that is, I'm sorry, patreon.com slash omnibus project. Uh, you can also mail us things in real life at P.O. Box 55744 Shoreline, Washington 98155. And go on Facebook and reddit and look for the futurelings in both locations also there's a second reddit 
called Omnibus Underscore Podcast. I'm really not sure. This outro is going to get so long every time we have to add know, another, just another forum. Thing. Also, you should go to the U.S. Air Force Academy. You should not go to HN. That's a great way to get an education in aerodynamics. Are we, are we now sponsored by the Department of Defense? You should follow Tony Hawk on Instagram because he does lots of kickflips. <laughs> Listeners, from our vantage point in the distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization will survive. I'm, I'm surprised it survived this outro. Frankly. I know. I'm surprised it survived this show. <laughs> we hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come. There's probably a grammatical fix you could do there. Yeah. I'm sure William Cullen Bryant would have some notes on that. The catastrophe shall not come, we hope which it, you fear. There we go. <laughs> We we the, we, the, we wait, pray against the arrival <laughs> of the catastrophe we fear. The ca- the catastrophe we fear may never arrive. Comma. We hope and pray. There it is. Is that better? Well, let's see. Uh, well, I'm just according to, to our ho- comma. According to our hopes and prayers. According to our hopes and prayers. You can really you can really recast all these into kind of 1950s IBM speak oblivion if you want. To. <laughs> If the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word. But if providence allows, we hope to return to you soon for another entry in the omnibus. Mm-hmm.